Okay, so we're going to start in one minute. Everyone, we will give it just two minutes to uh, allow people to log in. Ryan, do you mind pulling up the screen? All right, we are um, recording to the cloud. Make me a make me a co-host. Hopefully, this video will play. Is there a macro to full screen that? Just waiting for some additional people to trickle in. Okay, I think we can get started. Hello, and welcome to Floor 9, live from CES 2021. I am your host, Scott Elchison, and along with the entire IPG Media Lab team, we'll be walking you through everything you need to know from this year's CES. This includes the top trends coming out of CES this year, conversations with some of the most innovative startups in the media landscape today, and then a live look in at the show floor and all the interest in technology and gadgets that CES is so well known for. So with that, we want to get the show on the road. I'm going to hand this over to Chad Stoller, the Managing Director at the IPG Media Lab and UM's Global Chief Innovation Officer, for some background on this year's show and the top trends you should be aware of. Chad, take it away. This is our 10th year at CES, and uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful feeling seeing how many people RSVP'd just to hear what it is that we have to say about the upcoming year. What is, what is it that you need to know about this year's CES? Well, the first is, is that it's essentially an all-digital venue. Uh, the CTA has worked with Microsoft to build a platform where it can hold a bunch of sessions, keynotes, and press conferences. That's essentially what's going to happen this year at CES. So if you've registered for CES, you'll see there's a complete schedule of events where you can go in and you can watch moderated conversations, uh, packaged keynotes, and some live interviews. But there's also an exhibitor directory. And this is where those 1900 exhibitors essentially are holding microsites on a Microsoft platform where you can go in, immediately opt in to have your credentials shared so you could be contacted afterwards, view videos of products, read information about products, uh, have live chats with people who are attending booths. And there are real booth hours. It's basically from seven to seven every day, Eastern time. And then lastly, you'll notice that on the entire schedule, there's um, conferences that are being repeated or seminars that are being repeated later in the day and in the evening because CTA is looking to accommodate Asia. Now, for us, normally we, we get out here a week in advance and we're scouting, we're going through the floors. We're, um, we're basically, you know, we always like to say we see, we see CES built from studs to the stories of which they're, they're selling. But the problem is that this year, everything was held behind a essential wall that went live at 7 a.m. So of those 1900 exhibitors, the only things that we really know about are people who have put forward their announcements. So as of today, our team is scouring, albeit in a different way, they're online, they are looking for every single story and they're going through the exhibitor directory. And once again, the goal remains the same. In our 10th year of CES, our job is to follow the attention. What we wanna make sure that we're doing is we're trying to understand what will consumers care about? Because if they start to care about something else, we need to know because we need to make sure that media investments and measurement follow. Having said that, I think the first one that's pretty obvious and we'll get the elephant out of the room has been this idea that the home has become our headquarters. The next is smart homes became smarter. Now, during COVID, we didn't necessarily see a huge increase in terms of incremental smart homes. But what we did find is that a lot of people who had invested in smart homes spent more time trying to figure out what more can they do. There's a lot of health tech 
that a year ago, if we were probably standing in Las Vegas and told you this was going to be the year of the oximeter, the thermal thermometer gun, and telemedicine were going to truly take off, you would have been very skeptical of what it is that I was saying. I can't have a CES or any kind of presentation where I'm involved where we're not going to talk about gaming, but gaming surged during COVID. And in certain cases, gaming will truly, some of the numbers will truly blow you away. So for instance, Call of Duty with the launch of Call of Duty Warzone, which is their free-to-play version of the game, generated close to $1.9 billion in 2020. And then lastly, you're seeing platforms like Twitch evolve to go beyond playing, not beyond just for gameplay, but going into a venue for entertainment and exploring more the metaverse concept, which is how do you create this virtual environment where people can come together for entertainment? So looking back at all of that in 2020, we're very excited to see what we might uh, find at CES in 2021. The stage has been set. Chad, thank you so much for that background. Now I'm going to pass the mic over to Ben Hone, who is live on this year's show floor with Josh and Ella to hear from them about the most interesting healthcare and health tech companies that is coming out of the show this year. So Ben, what are we seeing out there? Welcome everyone. Thank you so much for joining our show floor tour of CES 2021. Although the CES experience this year is undoubtedly different, it may just end up being the necessary reset that could actually be beneficial for for CES going forward. Uh, So without further ado, I'm going to pass it over to Josh and Ella, who are going to kick things off with a look at the evolved digital health landscape. Great. Thanks, Ben. Not surprisingly, we have certainly seen a number of uh, smart masks um, sort of pop up. A lot of the masks have become equipped with sensors. Uh, that measure users' breathing and air quality of their surrounding. We've seen some that feature built-in earbuds and microphones uh, to ones that are waterproof and also feature a sort of transparency to allow for uh, lip reading and and facial cues. Um, I think microphones and amplifiers have also been uh, embedded in some of the ventilators as well to help project voices through the mask. Uh, So this way you don't have to worry about sounds being uh, as muffed. And the interesting thing we were talking about here is the possibility of masks becoming its own category and kind of thinking about at what point do you start paying out um, quite a high price point. So like this first one, AirPop Active, is $149.99, for example. So at what point are we investing so much in our masks that they will become like a regular feature? Um, It's just something to consider as we go forwards as well. We've also seen a big focus on uh, environmental uh, cleanliness. A number of robots have certainly been uh, developed uh, using various levels of uh, UV uh, lights and disinfectants to be able to keep workspaces, hospitals, uh, classrooms, businesses uh, clean. Two products from a company called Targus, which makes the uh, privacy screen protectors that you put over your computer monitors. Uh, on the left is a sort of a UV light for obviously, uh, you know, cleaning and eliminating uh, pathogens and bacteria on keyboards and mouse and desktops. Uh, but what was really interesting is what they launched on the right, which are is a series of travel bags um, that are coated in the uh, the bag itself. The zippers, the handles are all coated um, with a certain material that is um, that prevents bacteria and pathogens from getting on it. And so as you think about someone traveling an airplane, you might be clicking your hook on the, you know, the bat in the bathroom stall, you might be putting your bag down on the floor. Um, these are kinds of products that we're going to, that we expect to see a lot more of, um, as obviously it helps build a little bit more comfort um, and, uh, and confidence in consumers while they're traveling, uh, making sure that they're not actually carrying anything uh, that with them that they don't want to be. 
Uh, and lastly, um, we thought it was interesting uh, that uh, we had a, a CBD uh, company uh, come up here. Uh, obviously, CBD and cannabis uh, is used for pain management, anxiety, sleep, um, and, and those kinds of things. And, and this is from a company called Mode uh, that is basically helping uh, consumers understand what the correct dosage is um, for consumption of cannabis and CBD um, to help uh, address some of those ailments. Uh, and so it provides sort of a, you know, a condition specific recommendation to make sure that uh, people are getting things right and, and being able to address those, uh, those conditions properly. The show floor is absolutely bustling this year. Thank you to Josh, Ben, and Ella for that in-depth analysis of what is going on in the health tech space and the interesting technologies they're seeing on this year's show floor. We're going to take a break from the show floor and jump into our very first partner session. Right now, live is a conversation uh, with Standard. They are a new technology company that is helping retailers and CPGs rethink the in-store retail experience through cashierless checkout technology. Let's take a listen. For the audience, it's like, what is standard? You know, what is the solution that the team has been working on these past couple of years uh, in the retail space? So we like to, when we started the company four, four and a half years ago, uh, we set out to, to be a machine vision company that's 100% focused on retail. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means is we've built a platform that, uh, of computer vision to allow it to see the world, interpret it in, in a similar way that a human might uh, then make decisions. And we've applied that technology uh, specifically to retail. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the idea is it allows people to walk into a store, pick things up, walk out without having to wait into a checkout line um, and really hopefully improve the quality of their life a little bit. But also for the retailer to to reduce the friction for them, to reduce their operating costs, to uh, lower their loss rates. Um, and the amount of money they spend on loss is also very high. And we, we, we seek to try to simplify their, their vendor uh, management uh, uh, or organizationally. Got it. And it's just like the kind of just like get into like the actual, like just maybe like detail around it. So is there like an app involved where similar to like Amazon Go, where they had like the tap to mm-hmm. sign in? Is it just all camera based? Like what are just that kind of, you know, um, that breakdown. Yeah, it's a it's a real it's a hundred percent camera vision based. So look, okay. Amazon is a great comparison. Everyone uh, is somewhat familiar with Amazon Go, even yep. if you haven't been there, um, you're familiar with what it is. The with Amazon, you have to be a member, uh, an Amazon Prime member, with the app to be able to even enter the store. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's cool for Amazon. Um, they can do their own thing. They're Amazon, uh, but most retailers, and I, and by most, I mean all the rest of them don't want to put a gate between them and their customers, uh, mm-hmm. which is exactly what Amazon is doing, but it's Amazon's thing. But cash is a big part of how uh, retail is done. Still 50% of transactions at convenience stores are cash based yeah. uh, in the United States um, and it's higher abroad. Um, so we, we comparing ourselves to Amazon is a, is a really good uh, comparison. The where we differ from Amazon is we don't have those gates. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we we do allow for an app, and, we, and that's our what we call our happy path. It's it's the preference that we'd like the customer to use. Yep. And that they walk into the store. Um, depending on the implementation that we agree to with the retailer, 
Uh, it can be a, a, a tag tap uh, somewhere in the store before or after um, at any part of the experience, really. Um, it can be uh, something we call seamless checkout, which we're launching um, hopefully later this year, um, if not in quarter one of the following year. Mm-hmm. Um, or even accelerated checkout, which allows uh, cashiers or kiosks to work at a much faster rate because there's no scanning uh-huh. that happen anymore. Interesting. Uh, and this is important for allowing alcohol and tobacco sales in some states, cannabis sales. Uh, so it's important for us to be able to be as flexible as possible for the retailer to allow for whatever experience design that they have for their customers. And that's the number one reason why they call us. They want unique customer experiences. Mm-hmm. So in a way, you, you can call us an experience company. Uh, we're trying to build experiences that these retailers are imagining for the future. Um, because now you can you can build their flexibility and, and take away some of the limitations they've had throughout you know existence really right and so so that's interesting so when it comes to like the actual categories of retailers are, are you working with are there certain industries or categories that are um, more interested now or like the, like the system is best suited for today so over time we've had waves of retailers come in uh, depending. A lot actually on what Amazon does. So like when Amazon acquired Whole Foods, we talked to every supermarket that week. Okay. Uh, they all <laughs> wanted to talk to someone about you know, what's what's coming. Uh, when they talked about going to smaller format stores, we, we talked to a lot of convenience stores. Uh, mm-hmm. But we really had waves of every kind of retail. We talked to electronic shops. We've talked to the big box retailers, like, like the super centers, the apparel uh, uh, resellers, um, all kinds. Uh, for us though, we, you know, each kind of retail represents different edge cases that you'll need to solve for. Right. But what we wanted to go into the CPG consumer packaged good uh, uh, world, because uh, we also believe there's a lot of opportunity for the, for those brands, the, the Pepsis, the, the, and obviously I'll be, I better say Mars Wrigley. That's, that's one of our partners, uh, the General Mills, the, mm-hmm. Um, the the Coca Colas, the J and Js, all these people. Yeah, <laughs> uh, these these guys are really really interested in not not again not whether or not uh, Joseph and Samantha are are buying Pepsi products, but they want to know are how are shoppers engaging with products in general. Yeah, um, people might assume that the biggest competitor to Coca Cola is Pepsi. That might not be true. It could be a candy bar. Like maybe a Coca-Cola drinker is not going to be swayed by advertising by Pepsi, uh, but maybe they'll put down their bottle of Coca-Cola and buy a Snickers instead. Um, who knows, really? And that's the point. The, the data has not been there at the brick and mortar level. You, what we sometimes like to say is we bring e-commerce level data to the brick and mortar space, mm-hmm. um, but even better in a way, because in e-commerce, you have like a banner on the page and this banner was was present while the person was on the page uh and we can see them navigating even while that banner was on the page and so that we call that an impression um but did they even see it did they click on it um maybe we know they clicked on it or not but we don't know if they saw it um did it lead to a search three months later i don't know mm-hmm. uh, what we can do with computer vision in brick and mortar we can not just see what people buy, but what they engage with really. Like, does their hand break the shelf plane? Did they pick it up and look at it? When, when, at what point did they put it back on the shelf and not buy it? Was it after they turned it over and read the back? Um, was it when they saw another competing product and then they just put that down somewhere and picked up another thing? There is no data on that right now. 
Uh, no one knows. Uh, and that's why the CPG brands are so interested in this data. And because we need to be able to understand this to allow for autonomous checkout to even work, um, it's, a, it's a great uh, way for us to get lots of people excited about the technology um, and to grow within that space. And so to answer your question more specifically, what kinds of stores are we talking about here? Well, mm-hmm. we're talking about convenience stores, drug stores, and supermarkets. Yep. Um, a bag of Doritos or a Nature Valley bar or a Snickers bar all look the same in each of those places. And so we can leverage the user, uh, uh, rather the edge cases uh, that occur in those spaces as we as we go from the smaller format store to the larger format store, mm-hmm. um, and and leverage the data uh, from you know any anywhere in that flow. Right. And so that brings me to like my next question, because like that, that's super interesting around these CPG products. Is you know, how is the team thinking about like impulse purchases, and yeah. you know how that you know, in-store experience changes because if we're taking out the actual cashier um, aisle or device, whatever that that might be, that's, you know, that impulse purchase, um, you know, actual motion is essentially removed. Um, So how are you thinking about, because like, I guess, is that one of those experiences that like, that you're thinking about when retailers come to you? It's like, how do you recreate like this impulse purchase path? Yeah. Yeah. I really love this question um, uh, because it's a story where I can, I can talk about how wrong I was. (laughs) <laughs> Those are the best like, stories. <laughs> I would like to say it's a rare thing for me to be able to say, but it's not. Um, no, but seriously, uh, the initially I was very worried about this. The, the mm-hmm. primary focus of a retailer is to make sales, uh, get people in the door and sell stuff. And if you're if you're talking about how to remove the lines, impulse as a category is the fourth largest category for the for the country. Uh, as a, you know, batteries and candy bars and drinks all together, that's, that's the impulse. Um, so, so one day I'm sitting around and Mars Wrigley gives me a call and uh, they were talking about this issue and mm-hmm. we're actually excited about it. They're like, no, Michael, you're wrong. This is an exciting thing for us. Uh, what we need to think about is the redistribution of dwell time. Dwell time is the number one uh, metric looked at when, dis- when, discussing impulse buying trends. Where are people standing? And as you point out, Scott, it's it's generally in the queue waiting to get checked out. Uh, so you put all the impulse stuff there. Uh, in working with Mars, the reason the, the one of one of the, the main reasons for us to work together, not the only, but a, a big proportion of it, was to work with them uh, so that we can learn how retailers and brands think about the distribution of products and where they should go. Um, and how we should be prepared for that, uh, and also how retailers think about product placements and, and how important it is to, to make sure there's flexibility for them to stock the shelving on the fly and not be so rigid on where products get placed, uh, which is a concern with shelf sensors like Amazon Go, for example. Right. But with Mars, they were interested in learning about the things that work well for us and the things that don't work well for us. And and how to start thinking about and using the data that we're able to produce uh, of, of rethinking these things. Like maybe the Snickers bars are better placed uh, near the milk. Uh, and maybe the M&Ms are better placed near the baking goods. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there are several spots throughout the store for these things, but they're much smaller in their format. And the pictures that get placed get put in different areas. But we, we get the data to be able to understand 
how people move from product to product, the order in which they pick them up, mm-hmm. uh, and how they should be now redistributed throughout the store based on actual shopping trends, not just transaction buckets, right. um, actually how people are thinking about their shopping list. Uh, and the idea Interesting. of ours is to now rethink that and put the products in places that are not just depending on you being bored out of your mind and uh, waiting for something to, to get picked up, mm-hmm. um, being a little bit more proactive in how products get placed in stores. Awesome. What's super interesting about that is it's kind of a win-win because you're getting all of this information to improve your model overall. And then also getting these insights on an at store level in order to better determine where the, you know, impulse section might be best fit or where, you know, this product actually might be better off in the planogram. So. Yeah, absolutely. And and they've been, they've, and, you know, uh, I didn't plan on talking about Mars so much today, but they've been an amazing partner uh, in coming and working with some of our clients, actually Mm -hmm. helping us, helping them think through things and helping us think through things. And, you know, they, they are even off on their own doing uh, things separate uh, from us with, with our clients uh, after we made those introductions. And and we, we love that. We, we want to see ourselves as a nexus point for these consortiums of, of the new interface of retail. Uh, And, and really we want to, we want to be not just bringing these solutions to people, but bringing those other thought leaders in the space even if they're not in computer vision, they're thinking about it, mm-hmm. thinking about the, the future of retail. Uh, and we want to be, we want to surround ourselves with these people. And, and this is what we bring to the table. I truly feel like I'm living in 2025 with this type of cashierless checkout technology. Thank you to Alex and Michael from Standard for joining us at this year's CES. Next up, we're headed back to the show floor with our very own Adam Simon, who has expertly curated the best smart home technology you need to know about this year's show. So Adam, what are you seeing out there? So I'll start out with the, the television because CES, of course, is historically uh, a TV show. Uh, and so there's always lots of TV news uh, to share. Um, there, uh, the, the, One of the big pushes this year was uh, around 8K TVs and micro LED TVs. Um, 8K, pretty much everybody is showing 8K TVs. I think the one to watch is TCL. They are traditionally sort of the low cost leader and the ones to push uh, that those new TV technologies down into the mainstream. Uh, unfortunately, they do not have prices for us for their 8K TVs yet. Um, so keep an eye on it. You know, once it gets down below the 1500, definitely below a thousand dollar mark, that's when it's time to start really taking 8K seriously. On a little bit of a more fun note, uh, uh, Chad mentioned this in his kickoff, but this is one of my favorite products from CES, which is uh, a high-tech doggy door um, from the garage door company Chamberlain, where they use their expertise in garage doors to build a pet door directly into a more traditional looking door. Um, And I think this is interesting because it's also, to me, it's also a little bit about security. Um, It's not a hole in your house that's open all the time. You have to manually open and close it for your pet. Um, And it monitors who is, which pet is asking for information or or not information, asking to come in or out. Uh, So it is a little bit, I I would put it in that realm of security of like uh, giving people peace of mind so that they feel okay with opening something big enough for a large dog to get in and out of their homes. The next slide is uh, one that we have been asking for every year is finally here, maybe, which is a toilet that is going to help you uh, better understand and manage your health. Um, so this is from Toto, the, the Japanese toilet brand, and it claims that it is it is 
assessing not just what goes into the toilet, but also your skin when you are sitting on the toilet um, for uh, for health indicators. Um, so this is something that has seemed obvious and all of the things that, that we see at CES that are surprising and interesting and novel, this one sort of seemed obvious, but no one had actually done it. Toto is now kind of doing it. They have announced this, but there are really not a lot of details about it. Um, so I think that in, including price and including things like how the technology works and uh, privacy around uh, how this technology is communicated to you. So a lot of questions here, but um, hopefully, even if this is a product that is not 100% ready to ship yet, which it definitely seems like it's not, hopefully this does keep developing. Because again, this is the kind of thing that we have been expecting every year. We're glad to see it, but I would like to see this be a little bit more of a real product rather than this uh, concept that it seems to be right now. Kohler always has these uh, great, crazy connected devices. Uh, the bathtub, I think the, the, the craziest thing about this bath, well, two things. One is that you can get a model for, I think, uh, $16,000 that is overflowing, that becomes an infinity pool um, into the, the, the bottom of your uh, of your, your specially formatted uh, bathroom. Um, but it also has uh, mood lighting and also um, scent pods. So it's another pod-based product uh, where you can have aromatherapy pods that are integrated into the bathtub itself uh, to generate that uh, that very aesthetic looking smoke coming off of your, or steam coming off of your bath. Um, so this is, you know, it seems extravagant and it is extravagant, frankly. Um, but I do think that there is this emerging market of uh, luxury at, at home as, again, people have been looking to upgrade their homes. Everyone's spending more time at home. And so this is a way to recreate some of that. You take your vacation fund and redo your bathroom. Uh, and upgrade it with a little bit of luxury. Uh, and then we, we've, we've mentioned this already too, but I think it falls in that same category of luxury at home, which is uh, this, this robot from Samsung, the Bot Handy robot uh, that can uh, serve you wine. Um, other things, but it is primarily being marketed as a robot that can serve you wine. Um, it can also empty the dishwasher and uh, obviously serve you other beverages. Um, this is purely a concept. Samsung always loves to come to the show with these concept robots. Um, and I, I do think that uh, the chances of us having a robot with arms in our home anytime soon are pretty low, uh, but it's always fun to see, you know, sort of how that would work and, and imagine what that future might be like. Nothing quite says CES like a $16,000 bathtub and a robot that can deliver you wine and do the dishes. I think the only thing we're missing here is a flying car, and I believe Sean might be speaking to that in a little bit. But for now, we are going to be stepping away from the show floor and into our second partner session. Ryan is live right now with a startup called Community that is helping brands build one-to-one -one direct relationships with their audiences, one might say their communities, through SMS messaging. So let's listen in as Ryan kicks off this conversation, and heck, you might even hear from me. Ryan, what's going on? We are lucky enough to be joined this uh, today, actually, by Christina and David from Community. So guys, thank you for being here. Hi. Happy to Thanks be here. Thanks for having us. <laughs> of course. Why don't we get right into uh, the product of Community? Yeah, 
Yeah. So I can kind of take you high level, like in terms of like the brand and our approach. And then Mm -hmm. David will eloquently talk about the product and how his team is killing it in terms of his earlier point about making it something that big brands really want to leverage. In terms of community at the heart, you know, we power direct relationships uh, at scale through text messaging. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you think about it, there's this real sort of want for people, brands, um, drivers of culture to have like a really deep, meaningful connection with their audience, but you want to be able to do it at scale, right? So if you do have an audience and people want to hear from you, definitely community is where it's at. I think one of the most exciting things about what we're doing on this end is we're also providing a lot of agency to members. And those are the individuals who decide to opt in to text with community members. I always have this running joke like, I told Meg the Stallion she could text me, not the other way around. Um, <laughs> I'm like, where, where else can where else can you do that, right? But then also, right. like, perhaps I'm trying to, you know, it's January. I'm tra- January. I'm trying to get my fitness right. You know, I can mm. text in a Weight Watchers now. So I definitely mm. think there's this reciprocal relationship. And, you know, our chief product officer has done a really great job of keeping us honest in terms of making sure that whenever we're rolling out new features or we're talking about the brand, we're really keeping that, you know, meaningful reciprocal relationship at its core, but then doing it at scale. Um, Mm -hmm. And we always like to say, we don't let like algorithms get in the way. We don't let (laughs) privacy and data issues get in the way. I'm sure you guys all saw some of the news that came out yesterday and this morning, but it's really important for us that, you know, we keep our leaders and our members connected directly Mm -hmm. and instantly at scale through text messaging. And that's really like the vibe that we're bringing to market. Ryan. Yeah. So you, you mentioned those best practices. Um, I think I would just be curious as to, from a brand perspective, what are some of those best practices that they're employing on the platform? Is it used for, you know, promotion of their custom content? Are they using it to like assess user sentiment around a specific product? How are they most, you know, frequently using community? Ryan, if you want a job after this, let me know, because that's like, it's, it's, it's all of, it's literally, it's everything. It's all of that. Like community sits at this really interesting intersection of social and a business tool. But the, you know, the example I'll give you of how brands are using it specifically, um, and I've got, you know, a list a mile long, so, you know, cut me off. Um, but, you know, one thing, one thing that was really interesting um, that represents a brand partnering with an influencer is very recently um, Crocs partnered with Post Malone. And, you know, Post Malone had built an audience um, on community for the last six months. And interestingly enough, you know, one of the coolest activations that Post Malone did is he teased out um, his Nirvana live tribute on YouTube to his community audience first. And then when that was going live, he sent out the link. And of course, 95% open rate in three minutes, 59% click through rate. All of a sudden you had this audience of, you know, 60, 70, 80,000 people clicking on a link, going through the pipes and it's live on YouTube. And all of a sudden it's the top trending thing on YouTube because of the performance of the platform and of course who Post Malone is. Um, but to get really specific on the brand front, so Post Malone and Crocs teamed up and you know, Post Malone reached out to his audience and said, hey, I'm, I'm working on something, you know, being, being sort of very, very cagey. Um, you know, wh- which color, you know, black or pink? Right. And, and all these people start responding. He was like, cool, cool, cool. Thank you very much. Um, um, what do you like more? Grapes or rubber duckies? And, you know, everyone's responding <laughs> and, and, and we're aggregating all of this feedback on the back end. You're literally seeing, you know, the, the numbers move. And then Post Malone is like, you know, thank, thank you to his audience so much for helping me out. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know when, when I've got something ready. And so it's like building this, you know, energy and, and, and this is waiting. Okay, what, what is he doing? What was I a part of? Um, and then, of course, he releases these customized Crocs um, that, that is the Post Malone version and he sends them. Uh, to his audience first, right? right? And it's like, you help me out here. It is, and they sell out. 
They, they, they literally, because, because you've already built this buy-in, they feel like they're part of the, pro- the process and then they get it early and they, and they sell out. And so that's an example of how brands are partnering with, you know, influencers or celebrity or athletes, musicians to drive yeah. this forward. But being said, brands are having a tremendous amount of success um, you know, going direct with their audience, whether it's, okay. you know, Pittsburgh Penguins um, driving participation with Dunkin' Donuts or selling tickets. We talked about NBC Sports um, yep. live broadcasting their number. Um, it's, it's, you know, as long as you are coming to your fans with exclusive content, unique content, bespoke content, um, they want more and, and they're engaged <laughs> and they feel, they feel special and rewarded. Um, and, and just to, to, sorry, Dave, just to back David Please. up there, you don't have to, you know, Crocs and Post Malone, like, yes, big scale, big global brand, big global superstar. But to David's point, and I know for like the IPG fam on the phone, you know, maybe you work Mm -hmm. on a smaller brand or some smaller businesses or maybe don't have the scale of a Post Malone. To David's point, like if you have an audience that wants to hear from you and you want to engage with them directly, community is where it's at and you can reach them directly by simply texting them. So that's whether you are a Crocs and a Post Malone or a slutty vegan, or you're just a mad happy, or you're a Bobby hundreds or whatnot, there's, there's real scale here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, the, the team has built a product that can support multiple types of businesses from the smaller, you know, accountant that, you know, we have accountants using it to like, <laughs> seriously, it's tax yeah. season. I love, tax I love season it. as a Look, product. Wow, Scott, HR, right? <laughs> HR block, you know, is, yeah, is on it right now. Yeah, but we have individual accountants using it, you know, so I'm, I, you know, I think the scale, go ahead, David. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, Christina, I mean, that's, that's perfect. And it, it doesn't even have to be massive scale. You know, I, I'm not going to tell you the name, but there's, there's a, a, a direct to consumer, small up and coming, um, e-commerce uh, group on the platform, they have roughly 2,000 followers, right, mm-hmm. on community. Um, and last week on one text message, one text message sold $50,000 worth of merchandise. Wow. So when, when we talk about like your highest return channel from an ROI and return on time perspective, like that is who, um, you know, we strive to be. I think all these metrics for like click-through rate and, you know, return on spend are all great, you know, in exemplifying how powerful community is. Because as we know, as people retreat from these public forums and come into these more customized, you know, subgroups and niches, I think that there's more of an appetite and more of a passion for what's being evangelized in those spaces. So for that Crocs example, specifically, if you're scrolling through social media, I'm probably not stopping twice when I see something for Crocs, but if Post Malone is wearing a hot pink version of the Crocs, maybe that'll actually catch my attention and make me stop a little bit more. So I think those are great case studies to demonstrate the efficacy of like this subgroup uh, mm-hmm. culture that you guys are building with community. A big thank you to Christina and David from Community for joining us at this year's CES. I'm going to turn your attention back to the show floor as we go live to Sean and Christina from the IPG Media Lab team for an expert breakdown of all the announcements that have come out of the car manufacturers this year. So, Sean, what can we expect? Any flying cars out there? All right. Um, so, mobility and automotive have always been a staple at CES for anyone who's a veteran. And uh, while some of the more larger players uh, maybe opted to sit out this year, there were still plenty of stories and interesting announcements to share. Um, in this virtual setting. Uh, for instance, the Cadillac Lyric, um, which is due to come out in 2023, I believe, has a 33-inch customizable interface, um, which they work with Territories, Territories Studios, which actually uh, has participated in many feature films, as well as uh, Cyberpunk, uh, uh, which you probably heard about in the news recently. Um, 
like the Hummer EV, the Lyric features an AR heads-up display um, that is also powered by the Unreal Engine, uh, which is Epic's uh, proprietary engine, uh, gaming engine. Um, the subtly introduced Cadillac Celestique, and this is one of my favorite things, in addition to an end-to-end -end dash interface, will actually include a full-length uh, moonroof that is equipped with smart glass. So each occupant has their own quadrant of glass and can uh, adjust the transparency uh, to their desired level, um, which is fascinating. So if someone, doesn't, someone wants to take a nap uh, and wants to relax, they can dim it completely, and someone wants to see the stars, they can open it up. Um, oh, one of my favorite examples of superfluous experiential design came in the demonstration of the Watts to Freedom mode for the new Hummer EV. So what this does is Watts to Freedom mode it creates an experience that's basically akin to a rocket taking off in this car. It's utilizing the Unreal Engine that we talked about earlier. Um, and the truck physically adjusts uh, its suspension and lowers itself into a super sport mode um, and integrates the Bose sound system within the car to pump bass into the vehicle to emphasize this power-up before you release the brake and launch zero to 60 in three seconds. So it, it's a feature that is entirely made for a sensorial experience, but, but cool nonetheless. And I encourage, you know, we didn't include a video of it in here and, thinking about time, but I encourage anybody who's interested to, to look it up. Um, it really brings like a, a video game quality to the driving experience. So speaking of things that CES wouldn't be CES about, it wouldn't be CES without a big screen inside of a car. Um, Mercedes-Benz took this to the next level this year. They kicked off the CES festivities with their MBUX Hyperscreen, which is a wall-to-wall 50-inch, 56-inch entertainment display. If you remember the Byton screens of the past couple shows, it's that big. Um, not expected to launch until 2022, but has a bunch of different um, individual displays that's mounted in this kind of single glass-covered housing. Um, and the, these are those advanced OLED panels um, that will be used for the center and the passenger screens. We've seen a lot of developments over the last couple years in terms of autonomous driving technologies. If you remember, and this isn't a pop quiz, um, the LiDAR versus camera-based technologies that we've seen and kind of the step towards level five autonomy. Um, what we're seeing is a bit of a correction down and um, I would call it a market correction of what autonomy can achieve and where we are in the process. Um, similar mechanic with uh, 5G, which Richard will talk about. Um, Aurora Labs introduced what they're calling an automotive self-healing software. So not just automated driving, but also automated repairs and maintenance. Um, any of my ExxonMobil folks, predictive maintenance is um, the name of the game in the next five years. Um, and we're seeing a ton of different technologies, whether it's fault diagnostics or actually managing those faults and anticipating them, um, and as well as updating the vehicle over the air. Aurora Labs has announced a number of technologies around this automated maintenance space. If you were to ask me, Scott, what did you expect out of CES 2021? I would have told you, and you can actually listen to this in last week's episode of Floor 9, that it was not going to be an EV Hummer that could do 0 to 60 in 3 seconds. That's pure madness. 
or that Mercedes was going to announce a screen for a car that is bigger than the TV I own in my own apartment. But hey, that's CES. We're going to take a break from the show floor and let our feet rest as we jump straight into our next partner session. Live now is Ryan with Dennis Crowley from Foursquare Labs to talk about audio AR and the new product that the team over at the Foursquare Labs has been working on. And hey, you might even hear from a familiar voice. Let's listen in. Just to kick things off, can you just let me know a little background on uh, this new product that the team has been working on uh, throughout this past couple, I guess like like 18 months, give or take? Yeah, it's been kind of like a, like a slow simmer of R&D. So okay. my, my real job at Foursquare is running the Foursquare Labs R&D group, mm-hmm. which just makes new and novel, interesting use cases out of uh, Foursquare tools and technology. And so the Marsbot thing is um, you know, kind of an exploration of a, you know, like a longstanding belief we had of, um, you know, can you, can you make a piece of software that, that tells you what to do? And like, if you were to make an app that you never had to use, what would that look like? Like no, no UX, no buttons to press. Like, how, what, like what does that even look like? And so that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of what Marsbot is. The idea is you just put your AirPods in and you walk around. And over time, you know, Marsbot has the ability to learn about things, about places that you go to and neighborhoods that you've been to and, mm-hmm. you know, potentially things that you might like. And as you walk by certain places, it will, like, it will whisper to you, like in the, in the robot Siri voice and say things like, uh, like, oh, your, um, you know, your buddy Alex was at this coffee shop last week. Or did you know mm-hmm. that this is the best place to get dumplings in the East Village? Or, um you know, we, we rigged it up so uh, people can leave their own voice messages. Like I can leave a message that says, hey, I came here last week and I got the salad. I thought it was pretty good. And then the next person that walks by would, would hear that that message from me. Mm-hmm. So it's really it's an exploration on, um, you know, if you like, like what is like what, what's the, what's the poor man's version of augmented reality? Right. Like? Right. Because we're not going to build anything with glasses. So let's just do it with, with headphones. And so, I mean, I want to talk a little bit about this idea of like, you know, so like, you know, it was like a poor man's AR. So, so what do you, so what, what do you mean by that? Um, like, how are you thinking about audio as like this first form of AR for like, like the larger consumer base? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm super interested in all things, like all things emerging technology, right. And then, which mm-hmm. means like, you know, all things augmented reality. Um, but I've, I've never really been bullish on this version of AR where well. I got to get rid of that background. You hold, you hold, <laughs> you hold your phone up and you're okay. supposed to do things. It's like, it's just exhausting to do. It's tiring to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, even though I've gotten a look at all sorts of interesting hardware, like I haven't seen a piece of, um, of hardware that I think is going to be mainstream in the near future. So it's okay. like, if, if you want to make these things that feel like augmented reality, we don't want to wait three years to build them, be, you know, and wait for people to have the hardware. What do you do today to make it work? And so, right. It, you know, it's just kind of this idea of like, let's just, let's just use audio. Let's, let's try to, let's try to do that. Um, and it, it's, it's satisfying. Like it works, it works pretty well. This goes back to like the idea of like, like audio AR. It's like, was the idea of like more people buying AirPods and like wearing headphones, it's like kind of playing into that, you know, 
I guess, like proof point of why audio might be a fantastic version for, for AR, just because, you know, when we were all back in offices, like in the office, I mean, I saw people walk around with AirPods at their desk when they went to the bathroom, you know, like it like they were always in. Um, yeah. And so it seemed like that was something that was like, ah, you know, if we don't have glasses, here is a substitute that is always, already always worn. Yeah. You know, it was, it's like, um, we're having, there was, uh, like two things. One of which is like just realizing that some people were wearing headphones and not mm. listening to anything, right? As uh, like okay. people would do that as like I just don't want to be bothered, I'm not listening to anything, but it sends a signal that I want to be bothered. Right. And then you know we started thinking like, well, what, what, what would it look like to build an app that like, you know, an audio only app that that made you want to wear your headphones all day long without listening to anything, not right. because it sends a signal that you don't want to be disturbed, but something that wakes up every now and then, right? And so one of the things that we built um, like early on was if another, you know, um, MarsBot user was approaching you in the office, it would send you a notice like, oh, here comes Emma, here comes Max, here comes such and such. Okay. And it's like, that's actually, it's kind of interesting, right? Right. You know, if you, if you, if you transition from being in, in a building to being outside the building, do we, do we tell you when the next sub subway comes when you transition from being outside to inside? Do we tell you when your next meeting is, you know, just trying to find like a reason for people to wear headphones. Like mm -hmm. if you, if you imagine that, you know, the AirPods are going to get smaller and smaller and lighter and lighter, and you're not going to even notice them. I kind of yep. like that movie her with, you know, Joaquin yep. Phoenix and, and Scarlett Johansson. Yep. Like if that is a version of the future, like how do you build the 1.0 version of, of Samantha with like just basic stuff that we have today? Mm -hmm. And that's super interesting. We talked about some of the like use cases for MarsBot today, but then you also mentioned like telling you when the next subway is coming or telling you the next meeting is coming. Like when are you ultimately looking to roll out those features? And do you have an idea of like what is the next product or feature on the timeline? Yeah, we, you know, it. I feel like when we were building some of this stuff, this, this stuff goes back like more than a year. There's tons of things that we built into this and we stripped right. it out because we don't want people fiddling with it. Um, you know, like the... The things I'm most bullish on are like, I walked into a crowded room. Um, hey, Marsbot, help me make sense of the 50 people that are here. And right. like, the problem is there is no crowded room right now. There is no environment right. where I need to figure that out. But uh, those are the things I want to I wanna tackle, right? Like right at the point where we got to the shutdown last year, we were at the point where, you know, Marsbot, when you walk into a place like, oh, you're at, you're at Think Coffee, we see three other phones that are here. I'm like, all right, we can do this. We can have a thousand people start playing around with this now, um, but then people stop going to places. So I, I'm I'm interested, you know, I'm just always interested in like what are the what are the playful interactions that like one person has with another person through mm -hmm. software, and and particularly for this product, how do you make that stuff happen through through like subtle audio cues? Right. Are you thinking about brand opportunities? Yeah. So a couple of things here. So we um one of the things that we did like a week before we launched it. Um, is is kind of just to see if we if we could mm -hmm. is uh, we wrote some code that says identify every McDonald's around the world and play the McDonald's jingle anytime someone walks by any McDonald's in the world right it's like I just see if you could do that right um, and so we did it and then you know you go out in the street and you you walk around and then you hear the jingle it's like actually that's that's kind of interesting there's something interesting about that I, I can't mm -hmm. quite articulate what it is but it's like you know it's like a uh, a weird little poor man's augmented reality moment. Right. Like we did that to, to kind of illustrate, yes, we could do something at scale. Like it's a, it's a cool trick to be able to, to say like, 
you know, make this audio clip play at every bowling alley in the world or every McDonald's in the East Village or mm -hmm. every coffee shop in California. Like that's just something we can do with our tools. Um, but also like it, it gets this conversation going about like, well, I don't know, what, what could brands do? If you go right. back in time to like the early days of Foursquare, like that was the, those are the days like 2008, 2009, where everyone was like, every time you walk by a Starbucks, you're going to get pinged with the coupon for a latte, right? And that, that world never really happened because it's it's kind of super annoying when it does. Mm -hmm. and, and if like you can imagine if every time you walk by every place, it's it's talking to you. It's like that scene out of Minority Report. Right? Right. We could probably make that. I don't know if we should make that. I don't know if people want that. But like maybe there are measured things that we can do, right? Mm -hmm. Like th does a local merchant want to say like, hey, the cookies just came out of the oven right now. That's when you come in. Oh yeah. I'll come in. The cookies came out of the oven. Right. Um, so is there something to do with that? I, I don't know. But like, I think what will be fun as people start getting out, as people start going into places, as businesses start doing more stuff, um, you know, the, maybe this is another tool that people can play with and mm -hmm. try to, you know, innovate with. And that's what I was going to ask. Do you envision this being more of a tool in the long run as opposed to like a branded opportunity to come and work with the R&D lab at Foursquare specifically to develop a product for a brand? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, we kind of, we launched it as like a, as a product, right? It's it's out there. People can use it. And, um, you know, we we do that from, from the, you know, the, the, the Foursquare Labs R&D perspective to show people like, hey, here's a thing you can do with Foursquare technology. But it also, it drives a lot of inbound interest. Like there have been a bunch of brands that said, oh, I want to use this. What can I do? Mm -hmm. you know, like even this discussion here, it's like, well, what, what, what can the brands do with them? Like, I don't know. Brands come to us. Tell us what you want yeah. to do. <laughs> so, you know, this is, this is kind of how, how, we, um, how we learn and invent stuff at Foursquare. Like you, you put a little nugget of something out there. And then people tell you what they want to do with it. And then you kind of navigate the waters of like, what, what do we want to help people do? Um, I think, you know, it's a good way to kind of do crowdsourced product development or platform development. <laughs> that's well, that, that's fantastic. Um, well, I think that is about going to wrap up this session. Uh, so Dennis, I mean, is there anything else, anything else that we haven't spoken or spoken about that you think uh, everybody on the call should know about when it comes to the Marsbot product? Um, you know, like, you know, if you have an iPhone and uh, it works with any types of headphones, you don't have to have airphone, AirPods. But yep. you know, down, download it, give it a shot. Um, you know, just send us any feedback. Like it's an it's an active and open experiment to try mm -hmm. to understand what we should do with it next. And uh, you know, we get feedback every day, and we 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 review it and respond to it. So play around with it. And let us know what you think. Thank you to Dennis and the Foursquare team for joining us at this year's CES. For all of our listeners out there, go download the Marsbot app. You know, give yourself an excuse to get outside. No CES would be complete without sore feet and a stroll through Eureka Park. We'd go live now to Ryan and myself as we break down some of the most interesting startup technologies from around the globe. Let's listen in. Awesome. Thank you, Scott. And we'll kick it off starting in Japan with Axel Space, and they are willing to help you launch your own microsatellite. And I don't know if you're still clinging to Dish Network, but there are a couple of other uh, utilitarian purposes for launching your own microsite satellite from urban planning to infrastructure management, agriculture, forestry, meteorology, and a lot more. 
Um, and if those don't really tickle your fancy, you can work with their lab team to ultimately design your own plan for how you ultimately want to uh, deploy and launch your microsatellite and leverage that data that you're getting back from its near orbit transpondents. Um, in addition to these microsatellites that they're going to be launching, they have a service that they're going to be rolling out called Axel Globe that is akin to Google Earth. And it's actually going to be using a wide network of a couple of hundred of these devices to scan Earth on a daily basis in order to send back those signals and images of uh, near Earth orbit images every day. And just the last point on that is that this is just kind of a continuization on the privatization of space that we're beginning to see with like Tesla and SpaceX. Uh, the next company that we want to talk about also comes from Japan and is called Gatebox. And this is kind of um, leaning into that virtual avatar and digital twins trend that we've been following closely for the last year. Specifically, this Gatebox is a character summoning device that you live with and it helps you with basic day-to-day -day functionality and features. So you wanted to turn on your microwave to heat up some popcorn or you want to add something to your cal calendar all you have to do is to talk to Izuma Hiraki, who is this avatar they have created to live in your summoning device. Um, in addition to doing those you know, daily functions like making your coffee, if you get lonely, you have the opportunity to sit down, enjoy a glass of champagne with Hikari and engage in conversation. What's really interesting about this avatar is that it'll actually recognize when you're not home and will send you text messages just to check in and make sure that you're doing okay. So uh, scaling rapidly in Japan could be coming to a living room near you soon. And the last one that I thought was super interesting was something called human.ai. And what I'm labeling this is the creepy AI second brain experience. So essentially what human AI does is it records every single thing that you say all of the time in order to help improve this digital construct of your memory that it is building. So your Amazon Alexa or your AirPods that you're listening to will always be enabled in order to record your conversation so that when I'm thinking back, I'm like, oh, Ryan, what did you say to your fiance the other day that you don't want to forget? It'll have a, a recorded version for me to go back and actually retroactively check. And I could do that by going into this AI application and go back to, you know, Tuesday's, you know, conversation with my fiance and find out exactly what I said. What's really interesting is they're actually going to be making integrations for Gmail, Slack, and other messaging platforms in order to use your own voice and your own verbiage in predictive type text, similar to how you would see on a text phone. So say you're going to compose an email and you're talking about something that you did just the other day, it'll remember from your conversation what you were talking about the other day and potentially import some of that language into that predictive text line. So really interesting coming from human AI. And with that, I will hand it back to Scott. All right. Yeah. And I uh, definitely no privacy concerns on that last one, huh, Ryan? <laughs> or potential ones that might no, pop it's up. No, <laughs> all, it's all fine. Recording all the time happens all the time anyway. Yeah. Right. Give us a, a plus one in the chat if you would uh, go and use that, that product. Um, well, up next here is a company called Gametry. Uh, and as you know, at the lab, one of the themes that we're very interested in is social commerce. How are people shopping and spending online? Uh, well, Gametry is actually building a product that allows for you know part of that social commerce experience that is missing, and that is co-shopping. Uh, basically, they have built a chat window uh, that you know retailers can install onto their website. Uh, and I can invite, let's say, Ryan into a conversation uh, about 
a product that I am currently shopping on or a trip I want to go on. Uh, and so it's bringing that, you know, social aspect, you know, live into that purchase funnel or like that purchase making decision moment uh, when somebody is shopping online. Uh, so next up, we have Ollie, which uh, I think might be my favorite product of all of Eureka Park. Uh, so Ollie is a light that mimics the sun. And the whole idea here is because so many people are now spending almost their entire weeks inside, people aren't going outside. Uh, this provides natural sunlight to uh, a person that is inside. Uh, and so they claim that it is uh, similar to caffeine. It kind of keeps keeps you um, alert and awake uh, just through kind of mimicking the sun and providing you with those natural nutrients. Next up, Drognosis. They are a drone light show. Uh, so basically they have a fleet of drones, uh, you know, little quadcopters with a light on top uh, and they can program, you know, virtual sh uh, digital um, light shows in the sky. So it could be kites, it could be a logo, it could be pretty much anything you want. Um, and so as we're thinking about potentially what's the future of out of home, what are some interesting stunts or ways, you know, you know brands get involved to kind of bring a really like, unique experience uh, to the out of home market. You know, Drognosis is one of those companies that is really innovating uh, in that category of, you know, out of home entertainment. Uh, this one's fantastic. Uh, this one's called Mission Space Foods. The team at Mission Space Foods has hired, you know, Michelin star chefs, uh, physicists, and even astronauts to come together to build food for astronauts. And that is Eureka Park this year. There is no place quite like Eureka Park. From space food to beehives, you never know what you're going to find down there. And hey, I guess that's why they call it Eureka Park. Well, everybody, I think that is about going to wrap up this year's CES. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Uh, I hope you learned something. I hope you enjoyed yourself. And as always, if you're ever looking to get in touch, you can find myself on Twitter at T-I-P-P-I-E-R. You can follow the lab at IPG Lab and through our website, IPGLab.com. So thank you, everyone. I hope you had a great CES. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Floor 9. We'll hang on the line for a few minutes. And if you have any other questions, uh, we'll hang on the line for another five minutes. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everybody. See you guys on the tour. Thank you for coming. I think uh, I think that's a wrap. Mm -hmm.